You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Okay. How are we doing? Good. Thank you for that welcome. Um, <clears throat> I was just uh, praying into this this week uh, before I came here, and the first thing I just wanted to say is that um, I really love you guys. I don't know you at all, and I really, really love you. And the reason I love you is because I love the church. I eat, sleep, and breathe it. It's my whole life. Where she goes, I go. I don't have any destiny apart from the church, and believe it or not, neither do you. The church is God's plan A for everything, and there's no plan B. And some of us might have a complicated relationship with the church, but this is it. We're married. We're married. There's no other option. Are you with me on that? Okay. The second thing is, is I'd like to solicit your help, because I'm not, I don't like preaching in libraries. So, there you go. Okay, what was that? Okay, yes, yeah, there you go. I met this, um, I met this wonderful uh, Southern Methodist preacher one time, and he said the church was too quiet for him or something. He came to Canada, and we're like really polite, and we're just going to listen to what you have to say. We're not going to interrupt you. And he was so upset. He's like, listen, you guys, you have to say things during the sermon because like a good old amen is like saying sick him to a dog. So if you want your pastor to preach better, we can make a little noise. Okay, there we go. I'm still on my preamble. The third thing I wanted to say as I was praying into this week was just how blessed you guys are to have Caleb. And yeah, and the sort of, um, the sort of sense I got from that, just that sort of like light bulb for me was that the Lord sort of revealed to me, because I like Caleb a lot, like I like him as a person. But one of the things I felt like the Lord said to share with you was that there's lots of people worth listening to and not many people worth imitating, Right? Because the word is everywhere, right? Paul says there's general revelation. A tree declares the glory of God, but it has no ethical or moral ca- capacity. But, but we find these people to imitate that also speak into our lives, and woof, that's a total package. So anyway, bless you, man, for having me. You're going to need your Bibles today, and you can get that ready in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Caleb invited me specifically this morning to actually preach a particular message. It's something that I spoke not to my church, but through my church a number of weeks ago. And he heard it, and he said, I'd really like you to come and bring that to Life Tree. Now, I don't normally preach a message twice, so I don't know why. I'm just weird that way. But I'm going to ask that the Lord make this uh, in no way a rehash, but a prophetic and, and, and fresh word for this church. But I'm also preaching this word because of the church through you to the rest of the church. Do you understand? And we're going to talk today, I call this message on hand washing, which sounds like a really exciting title. But it's on hand washing, and it's around the, the issues of unity, charity, and liberty. Now, to begin, um, a couple of summers ago, and you wouldn't know it right now, but I had this, my summer of fitness. 
Anybody ever have a summer of fitness? For some of you, it's a lifestyle. Stop bragging. But I had my summer of fitness. And uh, I, I was trying all kinds of new things, and I was really excited. And there's this guy in my church. His name's also Aaron, and he, he's really into hiking. He's the hiker, you know. And so I said to Aaron, Aaron, take me on a hike. And he, and he was like, okay. Uh, and uh, he, he picked a place, a date, a location. We went out, and I was super excited. I'm going to go hike with the, the hiking guy, and it's going to be amazing. And uh, he picked Empress Mountain. Has anyone ever hiked up Empress Mountain here? Nobody? Cool. It's good. Then it's way higher than you think. Um, and so... I meet Aaron, and we, we go up this mountain, and I'm feeling good. Like, I'm, I'm more fit than I've been in a while, and I am, I'm making it, and we're, we're clambering over rocks, and we get up there, and we get to the top, and I am pumped because I'm not a hiker, and I made it to the top of a mountain. I took pictures to prove it. And then we started down. And if you're not into hiking, what they don't tell you is that down is harder than up which makes no sense at all. By about halfway down the mountain, my knees are like grapefruits, and they're shrieking at me, stop what you're doing. But I can't. I got to get down. And none of this makes any sense. It should all be easier. Everything's hurting way more. And I'm beginning to eyeball my friend who's a foot shorter than me and think, I wonder if he can carry me. I don't know. He's pretty fit. Maybe I could piggyback. And... So I make it down this mountain. Just changing my orientation, just changing my direction, had revealed what was almost a catastrophic weakness I didn't know I had. The simple fact was, no matter how fit, no matter how strong I was, no matter how much flat ground walking I'd done, when I changed the orientation and I had to bear my weight in a different direction and different orientation, it began to expose these painful weaknesses. I simply hadn't done it before. And it turned what was supposed to be a really fun Saturday into like the Bataan Death March. It was just awful. (laughs) I wasn't used to carrying, like I'm used to carrying me around. I'm not a small guy. I'm used to carrying me around, but not in that orientation. So with this little shift in circumstances, my walk suddenly got super hard. Now the COVID era has exposed some weaknesses in us as a church. It changed the orientation of our regular stress loads, okay? And it changed the pressures of where life and faith normally land. And life is always hard, and it's always difficult, and it's always full of cares. Somebody say, amen. Amen. (laughs) And following Jesus is hard. Somebody say, amen. But then the conditions changed radically, and it's exposing these weaknesses. And one of those weaknesses that gets me really worked up, because I love the church, is in the areas of unity, charity, and liberty. Now, there's a Latin phrase, some of you, I don't know your background, but if anybody, you know, grew up with a book of common prayer around or something like that, if you... If you don't know, you don't know. And if you know, you know. 
But there's this Latin phrase in all of them, and it's not just exclusive to that. It's been around for a very long time. It goes like this. It's a, in necessarius unitas, in dubius libertas, in omnibus caritas. And my wife always says, make sure you put it on the screen. In necessary things, unity. In uncertain things, liberty. But in all things, charity. The value of the phrase is more important than where it came from. Some people think it came from Augustine. I'm not sure about that, but it would make sense. Because Augustine loved the church and he was trying to sort it out. But with us today in the orthodox, believing, confessing church of which you are, it's really important that we don't screw up the order of those three things. Like really important. Don't confuse essentials with non-essentials. Don't confuse non-essentials with essentials. And remember charity in absolutely everything. Now, what I understand from pastoring my church, now, this may or may not apply to you, but in my church, the media that they've been consuming for 20 months has a single purpose, and that's to make them angry and scared. Probably not what you guys are watching. A relentless drive to upset you. And I understand that somehow in the last 20 months, polarization is now the way in which we're supposed to interpret everything. That, that our culture has actually regressed into this sort of slobbering McCarthyism. And some of you know what that means. Where you're looking for the enemy all the time. I understand we've gone completely backwards into an us and them cold war, and it has not escaped the church. Now it's this city versus that city, this province versus that province, this neighbor versus that neighbor, and in really tragic cases, this church versus that church, or that Christian versus that Christian. And I don't have any room for that in the church. And I don't think you have any room for it in the church. But the stressors of this situation are suddenly pushing down for this prolonged period of time on places that we've never had to deal with pressure in that area before. And our knees are screaming at us. We're getting confused about what's essential, what's liberty, what's charity. Let me tell you right now, and you can decide you know, whether I'm wrong or not. You have the freedom to do that. But a church is not a good church or a bad church, depending on how they've managed to operate in the last 18 months. A Christian is not a good Christian or a bad Christian, depending on how they feel about this situation in the last 20 months. You can disagree, but you can't divide. You're not allowed. There's a radical difference, and I'll leave that for your pastor to unpack how to disagree without dividing. But I will tee that up for you. But issues that should be under the umbrella of liberty and charity are getting shoved to the front of the bus as essential, and they're driving. 
They should not be in charge. COVID only endangers the body. Division endangers the soul. And the source of the current divisions that I'm seeing in the body of Christ and the larger church are when we get screwed up on what's essential. And just in case you think I'm making this up, we're going to look at Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. So if you can turn there with me, that would be awesome. Mark chapter 7. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, who's him? Jesus. With some of the scribes who'd come up from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. As it is written, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. Does Jesus ever think it's fine to reject the commandment of God? No, this is holy sarcasm, which gives us all permission right? Jesus is perfect theology, walking, talking, perfect theology. Everything he does, says, thinks, feels, that is perfect theology. And he's being sarcastic here, which just blesses my heart. <laughs> you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. Something? Nothing. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about that parable. And he said, are you, do you still not get it? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. And then there's a parenthetical note by Mark. Thus he declares all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. The word of the Lord this morning. So when I read stuff like that, here's what I think. I've been... In church my entire life, I've been in pastoral ministry for, I don't know, 20 years or something. 
I honestly believe that lots and lots and lots of people in church don't like Jesus. They don't like him. They don't like him one bit. What they like is their Jesus, not actual Jesus. Jesus is really irritating. I mean, my version of Jesus agrees with me about every single thing. It's remarkable how me and my Jesus see the world the same way, right? But like Jesus will come over to your house knowing full well what you happen to care about and do the opposite. Jesus, um, would you mind just washing your hands for dinner? I will not. Jesus, Jesus, you're breaking some some very important rules right now. Um, There are rules, Jesus, and you cannot risk contaminating everyone here with your dirty hands. I still will not. Now, at this point in the conversation, Jesus is over. His hands are dirty. His disciples' hands are dirty. The real Jesus, the real Jesus might be amenable to washing his hands. But, see, they made this really, really horrible mistake, the Pharisees in this scene. They conflated hygiene with holiness. They elevated, they had the audacity to elevate habits and practices that they personally believed in as if it was exactly what God believed in too. They elevated the commandments of men up to the commandments of God. And in so doing, you leave the commandment of God. Not a light saying. What is the commandment of God? When they came and asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? You walk away from the commandment when you elevate the commandments of man up to the level of the commandments of God. You leave it. Now, to be fair to the Pharisees, there was a tradition of ceremonial cleansing in lots of different scenarios. This wasn't one of them. They're teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. And the careful reader will note in your Bible that Jesus does not say that those commandments are stupid ideas. He doesn't say hand washing, cup washing, and cleaning up after being at the market is a stupid idea. He doesn't say that. They may, in fact, be considered by Jesus to be eminently sound ideas. Sensible ideas. We don't know. But he spends absolutely no energy debating the ideas themselves. What he hammers them on is what they think they mean. And they don't mean what they think they mean. We get to the issue of Corban. I think it's a verse 8. Sorry, verse 11, the issue of Korban. So the idea of Korban is, it it basically means gift or offering, essentially. 
And it's arguably the most important word in riveting books in the Bible like Leviticus. I'm sure you're all well-versed. Shows up at least 100 plus times in Leviticus. You know, when you bring your korban, when you make this kind of offering, when you make this kind of gift, korban's a very important idea. Jesus says to them, verse 9, you have a fine way. You have a, uh, the Greek there is kolotse. You have a fine, you have an exquisite way. You have a beautiful way. You have a noble, excellent way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to set up or establish your tradition. Jesus uses the issue of korban to reveal the whole horrible mechanism that's at work here. The horrible mechanism they're using is to take God's name or a godly idea and leverage that to get people to do what you want, not what God wants. Did you hear that? The issue of Korban is that they're using God's name or even God's ideas and leveraging them to get people to do what you want them to do, not what God wants them to do. Jesus does not say in his rebuke that they are misinterpreting or misapplying something God said. He equates what they're doing to taking a human instruction and pretending it's a God instruction and using that human instruction to nullify an actual God instruction. Are you still with me on that? And it's such a neat trick, isn't it? That's why, he, that's why he's so sarcastic. You have a fine way, because it's such a good trick. I mean, who can argue with dedicating something to God? I mean, who can argue? That's the neat trick. The charge from Jesus is that they are finding ways to reject God's commands by slapping God's name on the very rule they've invented to get out of obeying God's commands. It's very difficult to argue with godly themes when we leave them in the arena of themes. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The most common way we do this today is with the word love. Oh, well, that's not very loving. Oh, well, how do I argue with that? It's not loving. By the way, we get our definition of love from God. So if love ever makes you break one of his commandments, it's not love. Another example is uh, John 15, 13. Sorry, I'm warming up. <laughs> Caleb said I had all day. I don't know if that's true. John 15, 13. Greater love is this. Greater love has no man than this, than he that lay down his life for what? For his friends. So Jesus in John 15, 13, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's actually getting ready to go and actually die for other people. People he just called friends. So the text says literally to lay down one's animating breath, to actually die. And do you, have you seen how people use that phrase? You don't get to apply laying down your life for your friends to any particular situation you happen to believe in. And you certainly don't get to use it against the other person to compel them to voluntarily lay down their life. You're wrong on two levels. That doesn't work. Laying down one's life is actually a voluntary act of dying. 
The God thing has been said and demonstrated, laying down your life. Jesus says, I'm going to go do that. You're going to watch. You don't get to say that like spaying and neutering your pets is laying down your life for your friends. You can't just pick something. It's known in the contemporary church as a truthism. Anyone heard these truthisms? It's something that sounds true. It sounds biblical, but it's not. You can't take love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Jesus says, when you do that, you reject the commandment of God. If God thought that hand-washing was precisely how you love your neighbor, do you not think him capable of saying so? Keep in mind, I'm preaching through you, not to you. So if it hurts, it's for somebody else. Just let it roll. Just let it wash over you. Now listen, I, I wash my hands. I wash my hands a lot. I think that washing your hands is a really good idea. But I don't have the audacity to say that hand washing is a God idea. Now, on that note, if I think I'm loving God and loving my neighbor by washing my hands, if I believe I'm loving God and I'm loving you by washing my hands, that's actually okay. I might be a bit deluded as to what God really cares about, but as long as I left it in that little cute Aaron worshipy delusion bubble where I think worshiping God is washing my hands and loving my neighbor is washing my hands, as long as I leave it there, God will accept my worship, however cute and a bit dull I am. But where I can go completely away from God is when I judge you as not worshiping, you as not loving when you're not washing your hands. The mystery that was hidden for ages and generations in Christ Jesus now revealed to us is the church. And the fact that it exists, Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, you know, people with incredibly different ways of understanding everything and experiencing life. And they can do this in Christ Jesus somehow in love. Satan has a bait for all of us. He constantly baits us. Your ancient adversary doesn't come running up to you with dripping fangs very often. He comes up to you like an angel of light. He reveals to you some worldly thing, maybe even some good thing, and he tells you it's a God thing. He reasonably whispers in your ear that someone you disagree with is someone God disagrees with. He tells you that the choices you've made in responding to a situation are love, and the choices somebody else made in responding to a situation are not love. I mean, how can that church that feels so differently about the pandemic even be a church? I mean, how can that Christian who feels differently than I do about the situation even be a Christian? He's got his arm around us, trying his best to buddy up 
and make sure that we feel that everything we feel is what God feels. I mean, how can Jesus even be Jewish? He's not washing his hands. Phariseeism is taking a liberty issue or a charity issue and making it a love issue. Phariseeism is taking a liberty issue or a charity issue and making it a love issue. Do you know why we have creeds? Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. We have creeds, right? I don't know if you know this. We have creeds. (laughs) We're not a creedal church. We don't recite them very often. Maybe we should. Creeds come about when the church is getting screwed up on what's essential and what's liberty and what's charity. So you know what we do as a church historically is we get together and we smash it out in a room. And we say, no, no, we're going to figure out what's actually essential. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We bash these things out so that later, when the enemy gets a, gets a little hook into some in the church, we can say, no, 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 we know what's essential. We know what's worth dying for, and very few things are. We know what love is. We don't have to debate it. In this is love. Not that we loved him, but God loved us first. We know what it looks like. Ephesians chapter 2, but God who is rich in mercy. We know what love. We don't have to argue about this. It has been determined, but we often do need a refresher. If we don't know whether our actions or our choices are loving or not, Don't ask the news. How do they know? How do they know what love is? We barely know. We see through a glass dimly. We are learning for the rest of our natural days to even get a handle on what love is before we finally see them. Why is anyone else allowed to describe and and prescribe for us what love looks like? And don't ask social media. (laughs) Praise God. And this is what gets me lit. Not you. But take a tour through the church right now. If you want to get good and depressed. You got pastors up there. And I love them dearly. They're brothers and sisters who are telling people, no, love is this, not that. You don't get to do that. We know what love is. You can say, I disagree, I think you're stupid, Uh, you might be wrong. You do not get to say that I challenge your authentic faith in Christ Jesus because we disagree on some contemporary struggle. So Jesus says, and he draws everybody into him, and he explains it to the crowd again, and then he moves on, and the disciples say, I still don't get it. And Jesus says, why don't you get it yet? Listen to me. If you don't know whether you're in God's right right now. He says, look in your heart, not theirs. Is there anger, fear, pride, ungodly irritation? Because there's godly irritation. Jesus was irritated, so I get to too. Slander, criticism, Self-aggrandizing, self-ennobling. That's a big one these days, right? Isn't that just the enemy? 
to tell you your decisions, your thoughts, your feelings are all the most noble, just self-ennobling, self-justifying. I wouldn't have to feel this way if it wasn't for them. Just look inside. So as a church, capital C, far and wide, we're finally, for the first time, being tested on whether we actually, actually love. Because see, beforehand, there wasn't that many actual differences. You know how you, you, you sort of tell yourself that like, yeah, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free man. Yeah, one church, one love. Because, you know, they sing a little different or they preach a little different or they, you know, they have these like, these absolutely minor, inconsequential non-differences. And then you meet another believer right now who actually fundamentally disagrees with some, you on something you're passionate about. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, I don't even know if they know Jesus. Now we have real differences and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I'm going to offer a brief refresher on where to begin at least. Your pastor and you, your leaders can unpack what we do, but we don't get to pick how we'll do it. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, we read this at weddings, right? Which is really hilarious. Because this is actually for a church in the middle of tearing itself apart in Corinth. This is an ecumenical word, an ecclesial word. And if I have prophetic powers, and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Something? Nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned but don't have love, I gain absolutely nothing. Something? Nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. The word there is compel. Love never compels. I mean, let that land, church. Love never compels. You were not compelled into the love of God. You were wooed. You were invited by the most patiently loving, kind person Love does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, some things, all things. It believes all things, means believes the best. And it hopes all things. It endures all things, and love never ends. I think that's a good segue to communion today. Now, again, I, I don't know you, but I love you. I think Caleb's going to lead us in communion this morning, and I'm excited about that. 
I'm excited to participate in this together because um, this is what we need to do. We need to shrink everything right down, church, far and wide, you at home, those that are here. We need to shrink it right down to essentials. And every time we gather around the body and blood of our Lord, we just get rid of all the other stuff. The exercise of communion is to bring it right down to what actually makes us related. And by the way, I've been telling my own family this, uh, my own church this, my own, you know, relatives. You can share this with your family if you want. Maybe you need to hear this today. But one day, COVID will end, and we'll all still be related. And the only thing we'll remember is how we loved one another. I'm going to invite Caleb to come up. Thanks for your attention, folks. Any, anybody else grateful for Aaron? Yeah, come on. Maybe, maybe we should have him back. Uh, you can also find all of his preaching online through Gateway's website. Uh, just want to read one scripture as we go into receiving communion. It looks like the, the basket's going around. If you didn't already receive some of the elements before the service, uh, Telsey is going to, Telsey, you want to grab that basket? Does anybody, anybody still need who hasn't received? Put a hand up. Hannah? Okay. Thanks, guys. Just as Aaron was speaking this morning, I was brought back again to something in Ephesians 2. It's sandwiched right between the verses we read following worship. Paul says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This, this right here, if you will, is the glue in the church. We rally around the finished work of the cross, the death and resurrection of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, that was given for the forgiveness of our sins, all of us with grievous sins before God. We had every right to condemn. Instead, he gave his body to be broken for us, his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So day, today, I'm asking Holy Spirit, let this reality be inscribed upon our hearts and our minds. invite you to take the, the wafer. Christ's body given for you. Take and eat.
Here you hold in your hand. It's juice, right? More than that. Christ's blood shed for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. Jesus, today we say thank you. That there is no sin, no trespass greater than your mercy, your grace, your broken body, your shed blood. We say thank you. And I just have the sense this morning that the Lord is just dealing with hearts. There may be something that he's highlighting in your heart today that you just need to let go of it. Hand it over to him. Repent of it. Turn from it. Ask forgiveness. There may be somebody in your life, maybe even in this room, who you need to connect with. Maybe just, maybe just a hug, maybe a hello. I don't know what that might look like, but just a sense like God drawing us near to himself and in the process near to one another. So I say to you today as we close, go in love. Go in receiving love and giving love. Love that looks like Jesus. So Lord, we ask you help us love one another well, that the world might know that there is a God unlike any other who heals, who restores, who's making all things new. Go in love in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a great day and a great week representing Jesus in our city. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.